was lovely. Thank you, choir, for that. Thank you, everyone else, for appreciating the choir with that. A round of applause. They're wonderful. My name's Mitch. I'm a lay pastor here, and it's my opportunity today to provide the message with you. And I've uh, spent a lot of time <clears throat> in my life being a, helping out with sports, youth sports, um, different Different uh, roles. I played sports when I was a kid, and uh, by the time I kind of ended playing high or playing sports, I started helping coach little kids in sports. So I've been doing doing a lot of that for a long time. And uh, one of the teams I help with right now is a is a nine year old baseball team, and the coach is Coach Sean, a friend of mine, coaches this team. And Coach Sean is for the kids. He's for the kids. We're in this sermon series. No what you're for, and um, I was trying to come up with the example of being, of knowing what you're for, and Coach Sean's for the kids, and we had this game a couple weeks ago, and I'm helping coach, and I'm down at first base, and first base coach doesn't do a whole lot, you know, they hit the ball, they know to run, you just tell them to run, but they know already, so you don't, you don't have a, you know, and then you're like, no, stop, go, stop, come back, stay here, it's not a super involved job, but I'm down at first base, um, coaching kind of I can not cause too many mistakes there and first kid gets up and uh, he shows up down here at first base he walks and he gets down to first base and he's got eye black you know the eye black it's an it's a night game but we got eye black on <laughs> and he's got this eye black here here and he looks up at me he goes I'm a kitty I said, that's great, son. Um, just stay on the bag. Look at coach over at third base. Get your sign. Get your lead off. You know, do your thing. So he does. Yeah, he steals second base like he was supposed to. You know, second batter. Uh, second batter gets on. I don't know whether he put the bat on the ball or he walked as well, but he gets down there. And sure enough, he's grinning all the way down. He's got one. He goes, he goes, I'm a kitty. <laughs> said, I see that. That's great. I'm happy for you. Um, just don't meow and don't get too far off the bag. You'll get picked off. And he's, he's there. And then sure enough, third batter up, puts the ball in play, running down, just a big grin on his face. as he's, he, it, was, it was to right field. He could have, um, it, was, it was a questionable whether he was going to get a second bag or not. So he's trucking along and he rounds first. You know, but he looks at me as he's rounding the bag and he's like, He's got his, got his whiskers on, and he comes back, and in his cute little nine-year-old voice, he's like, I'm a kitty. I said, I know. And he looks at me and goes, we're going to get you too, Coach Mitch. <laughs> so I think, I think oh, now I, now I see what's going on. I got a team full of kitties. But, but I know, I know that Coach Sean, you know, he's for the kids. He's, he loves baseball. He's for baseball, and he's for the team. And, you know, and at least I've got Coach Sean in this, in this mess with me, and the inning ends, and I'm, you know, we're having fun, we're winning, we don't win much, so it was good that the boys were having a lot of fun while winning, and I go running over, you know, jogging over the dugout, because we got to take the field, and all the little kitties are running out to their positions, and Coach Sean turns around in the dugout <laughs> with his kitty whiskers on, and he points to my nine-year-old son standing there to where I am forced to take a knee and get my stripes. Um, for the remainder of that inning and the remainder of the game. So uh, we're, for, we're for baseball, for the kids, and for, um, 
for the fun that we had and the enjoyment of that experience. We were, we were, we were displaying, we were for, in favor of. In this series, Know What You're For, uh, we're, we're talking about how many polls with the church um, can almost confirm that often churches are known for what they're against, not what they're for. And we could probably do it, but we're not going to. I imagine everyone in here could shout out something that they know a various Christian group is known for being against. Um, it sometimes seems that this state of opposition is where they find their identity, is in identifying in the things that they're against. Today I want to take a perspective different from the negativity we find ourselves surrounded in in our culture, if we are to have any type of helpful, credible witness for Christ, we need to stop defining ourselves by what it is we're against and instead try to clarify what it is we are for. God is for us and ultimately calls us to be for one another and coincidentally for the world we're a part of. To be for someone means to have their best interest at heart. If you're interested in diving deeper in this concept, we highly recommend the book Know What You're For. It's by Jeff Henderson. We're piggybacking some of the ideas um, in this sermon series off this excellent book. But in this book, Jeff offers two questions to us that he believes are important questions for every business, every organization, and every person and individual should ask itself. These questions I've been chewing on all week, and they've shaped my thoughts around this message and how to present it. And uh, question one is, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? Every, every organization, business, and every individual should ask yourself, what do you want to be known for? And then the second question is, what is it, are you known for? What do people know you by? If someone is asked about you, what would they say? If you took a if you took a poll of peers and friends and enemies and frenemies, what would they say you are known for? What sticks out about you? And this is a heavy question to ask yourself, let alone to actually ask others to answer for you. But the goal isn't to come up with a right end-all, be-all answer. But Jeff Henderson says the goal is to rather close the gap between the two answers. Get closer from of what people know you for needs to get closer to what you want to be known for. In working through these questions, I wanted to start with where, with who we are and who scripture says we are. So I went to Genesis, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Ephesians 2, 10, our scripture verse for today. For we are what he has made us, that's God. We're what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. God is for us, we are created in his image, and we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus, for good works. So if that's true, 
then shouldn't we look to Jesus, who we're created in, shouldn't we look to Jesus for our example of what to be for? We can claim to be his disciples, we can claim to follow his teachings, but until we act as he did, we'll never close the gap between this question of what we want to be known for and what we are actually known for. So what was Jesus doing here? What was he doing? Well, John 3, 17, John tells us, God, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In Jesus' own words, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus also said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And in Mark we have, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to save. He came with mercy and to provide grace. Pastor Adam talked about this last week. We got um, a great message. If you uh, didn't get, uh, if you weren't here with us last week or didn't get an opportunity to see that, I recommend you go online and take in the first uh, message of this series, Know What You're For. And grab the podcast and listen to it. But here's kind of the cliff notes of those of two points he made about mercy and grace in that message. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you have not earned. Mercy. Mercy withholding the withholding of punishment that you deserve, but it is withheld. Mercy. That is mercy. And grace is getting what you have not earned. Keith calls it the ice cream after you didn't get your, eat your vegetables. Getting what you have not earned. Jesus, he came not to condemn the sinner, but to rescue. He offers reconciliation and forgiveness. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandments are, Jesus replied, Love your neighbor, or love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So when Jesus is asked, what's the most important, he responds with love of God and love of neighbor. <clears throat> so I would venture to say, Jesus is for love. It's what he's for. But I want to look at how he acted and stories from the Gospels of which Jesus lived out or embodied his mission in his actions. I want to start with Mark 1, a man with leprosy. Verse 40, 42, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched the man and said, I am willing, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy left and the man was healed. Jesus was moved with compassion. The word here in the Greek we find splankonizwe. Come on, 
give it to them on the screen. Because they're going to sound it out. See, if you just sound that out, it just, it's, just use your, use your phonics. It's Splankonizwe. It's right there. It's pretty basic Greek. Um, there's a, the, that, good, I like it. Good job. Splankonizwe. That's how the little automated voice did it on the, here, give them the next slide. On that, when you, you click the little sound button thing. And that's how that person said it. Splankonizwe. It pronounced it out for me. Jesus was moved with compassion. And this Splankonizwe, it's word also used for bowels, for your gut. Jesus found it in his gut. It was, he, was the, he felt it deep on, on the inside. Adam recommended me highly that I don't use that Jesus was moved and bowels in the same sentence, but if you, back to that last slide, moved deeply and inwardly, um, there it is, Splanko Nisway, it was, it was, he felt compassion deep in his gut. This man with leprosy approached Jesus, he had a disease, a disease that had him on the outskirts of community, he was to be separated, to keep his distance, to live alone, or with others who had the same disease. To be separate from the community and not to approach people. But he risks further social ostracization and a for this chance to be healed. He somehow knew that Jesus could heal him. We are in the first chapter of Mark's recordings of the teachings and ministry of Jesus, and he has already developed a reputation as a miraculous healer. This man approaches Jesus. His actions actually point, his approach of Jesus point to how approachable Jesus was and is. Jesus not only is a healer, but he's approachable. Jesus is for relationship. Jesus not only healed the man, he touched the man as well. Later on in Mark, a few chapters later, Mark uses the same word, Splankonizwe, again, Jesus was teaching with a large crowd, and they gathered, and they'd been following him for multiple days, and they're teaching, and he was in the wilderness, and the crowd has grown hungry. And we pick up here Mark chapter 8, verse 2. Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Three days, they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. Because some of them have come a long distance. Jesus is compelled by his compassion, and he feeds this group of 4,000-plus people with seven loaves of bread and a few small fish and has plenty of leftovers afterwards. Jesus was for people. He miraculously feeds this group. He has compassion for them. Another story, Gospel of Luke. Chapter 7, 36 to 50, we find this story. Where Christ was invited 
to dine, have dinner with the Pharisee at his house. The Pharisee was a religious leader in the town, well-known, noble person of, the, of religious leadership within that community. And Jesus is invited to his home to dine with him. And when Jesus gets there, he's reclining, eating at the man's home. And a woman of ill repute, scripture reads, a woman, a sinful woman, has learned that Jesus is there. And she comes in. She comes into the house, not just comes to the house where Jesus is, but she comes right in. She has a bottle of expensive perfume, and she goes straight to Jesus, and she finds Jesus, and she kneels down to his feet. Scripture tells us that the host had not even offered water for Jesus to wash his own feet with, and she kneels down to Jesus' dirty, dusty trail feet from being on the road, and she cries, weeps, sobbing tears of remorse onto Jesus' feet, and she dries and wipes the dirty, sweaty mud tear off of his feet with her hair and then pours expensive oil of perfume onto his feet, weeping at the feet of Jesus. And the host of the event is appalled. He is repulsed that this woman is even in his home. He feels unclean at her presence. He is indignant that Jesus is even letting her be here, let alone touch him. So much so, Luke records the man's under his breath remarks. We read this in Luke. If this man were a prophet, this is the words of the host, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. How did this woman have this audacity in this situation that she found herself in, the audacity to approach Jesus. It must have been, it only could have been, that Jesus was known for his mercy and his forgiveness. Jesus had a reputation of acceptance, not only for being a miracle worker, but for his compassion for everyone. This woman wasn't dying. She wasn't sick. She did not have leprosy. She wasn't blind. She wasn't hungry. But she was desperate. Desperate to get in the presence of the Lord, the only person who could reconcile her separation, her relationship with God. She was desperate to have her sins taken away and her soul transformed. The culture she was in said that there was nothing she was capable of doing to become right with God. The price was too high, and she could not pay it. But she knew that Jesus, his mercy, could forgive her sins. And she was right. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have that peace. You, the peace you came looking, looking for, go and know it. Jesus is for the sinners. He wants to rescue every one of us. And unless we know we're drowning in sin like this desperate woman did, we're hesitant to even be rescued. It's pretty hard to help someone who doesn't 
think they need it. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not, called, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And friends, we're all sick. So we can be sure then in our sickness that Jesus is for us. That's who he came for. Be assured he came for you. So as I struggle to answer this question, to identify what I want to be known for, as I struggle to close this gap between what it is I am known for and what I'd like to be known for, I want to encourage you to join me on this journey of looking to the words of Jesus and then also the actions of Jesus. His, his examples of compassion, his examples of mercy, and his words. He did not come to condemn but to save. May we have fewer words of condemnation and, for, and more words of encouragement. He did not come to be served, but to serve. May we spend more time serving than being served. He came with compassion in his gut. May we allow ourselves to be moved deeply, not put up so many walls, but be open to the emotion that moves us towards compassion. Jesus came with compassion for the hungry, for the sick, for the weak, for the spiritually broken sinner. And he offers us mercy and grace and love and our first century Jesus was known for that and he is known for mercy and grace and love Jesus is for relationship he's for people all of which we fall in that category that he is for sinners. But as his disciples, I think I've discovered, I believe, shouldn't that be what we are also known for too? So as you go forward this week, prayerfully consider closing the gap between what it is you're known for and what it is you truly want to be known for. Because I want to be known for being more like Jesus. For mercy, grace, and love. Amen? Lord, we humbly come before you this morning for wisdom and guidance to grow closer to being known for what it is you want us to be known for. To being, to being a positive influence on those around us to be a, a shining light of yours, to provide mercy and grace and love and compassion 
to be compelled by our compassion for acts and good works to which have been prepared for us in advance. We ask you to guide us in our, in our quest to identify what we want to be known for and help us to close the gap between that and that which we are currently known for. For Lord, deep down, we all are yours, and we want to be known as a representative and a light of your love in this world. Amen.